No, it is a pleasure. It is a pleasure. Uh, and thanks for taking the time to speak with me. Um, so let's just sort of start off nice and simple. First things first, how are you? I am pretty good. Uh, you know, a little bit of the winter blues. It's been pretty bad weather here, really cold, icy, snowy, uh, no sunshine for days. So, um, but other than that, pretty good. It is January. It is, they said, a winter blues. Yeah, where about, it, it where is about what it is, you? right? Yeah, yeah. Whereabouts are you? What's that? Whereabouts are you? Uh, in the Midwest. So Missouri, um, six hours from Chicago. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I get hit by snow. Yeah, no, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a rough idea. Um, okay. Uh, so, right. So we're coming to the end of January. We are reaching the end of it. Um, one month in, have you found you've been particularly busy this year so far? Um. Not so far. I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff on the horizon, right? So mm. you kind of hit this weird lull during the holidays from Thanksgiving to Christmas and to January where everything's kind of slow. The music business is kind of slow. You know, nobody's really paying a lot of attention to new things that are coming out. But I think as we get past January and start moving into February and March, uh, things will start picking up. So you know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff right now. Uh, obviously we're working on these two sweetheart records. They come out this Friday. Um, so we've just been doing a lot of stuff with that and then kind of just trying to plan out the next couple months of what we'll be doing for releases and yeah. Not a bad thing though, right? The opportunity, I guess, when it does slow down like this to just take stock and plan rather than dealing with it right here and now. Sure, sure. Okay, well, let's... Um... Let's spend a few minutes focusing on you personally, if you don't mind. Sure. Obviously, you're the founder and owner of Expert Work Records. You've also run other labels in the past and part of multiple bands, including 21 Trillion, who I believe are still active, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and so much bloody more. Your life, in a way, can be defined by music. Are you comfortable with that summation? And are you satisfied with what you've been able to accomplish, accomplish in your life so far? Sure. Um, I mean, music is a, it's a huge part of my life. Um, mm -hmm. It has been since I was a teenager, still is, you know, it's still an everyday occurrence. As you can see behind me, you know, we have a multiple, you know, a huge record collection. Uh, this is just in my house. So, um, yeah, you know, it's I'm surrounded by it. I'm pretty happy with uh, everything that I've got to do with music. Um, starting as at a young age and being being in bands and being able to tour and make those connections and see the world. Um, it's all been great. You know, as I've gotten older, I've obviously slowed down with doing any touring or anything like that. But that's uh, that's kind of why the label is so important to me. And that's kind of why I started doing the label is because I knew if if I couldn't be in an active band and be touring all the time and being out on the road, I still want to be connected to music somehow and and have have some important part of it so um gears have shifted a little bit mm. but um it's still nice to you know 21 trillion uh while it's an active band we're not super active in the sense that we're not playing a lot of shows or touring or anything like that it's, it's more of a recording project mm. um, so yeah doing the doing the label kind of keeps me connected to everything as far as uh, 21 trillion goes, the lack of tour, is that a choice really? Or is it simply because it can be quite difficult to kind of be able to afford to be able to do these big tours and so on? 
Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, the main challenge that we're having as a band, uh, there's just two of us, just me and mm. one other guy. Um, and we write and record everything. So um, it's very detailed music. Um, on the recordings, a lot of times I'm playing a bass part, two or three guitar parts, multiple keyboard parts. Mm. Uh, the drummer's not only playing electronic drums, he's playing real drums and maybe doing some samples, some other keyboard stuff. So we haven't really figured out a way to like transfer that into a live setting. Mm. Um, also, just us being older, um, you know, we just, I don't think either one of us have a huge desire to just be out on the road for multiple weeks or months at a time. So we'll see, you know, we, we're always talking about how do we do this? Do we get it, bring in a couple other musicians to help us yeah. out? And maybe that'll be, a, be something that happens down the road. Maybe. Yeah. Watch this space. Absolutely. You're never closing the door on that opportunity. Um, why would you? <laughs> um sticking with the band side of things uh take me back to the early days and the moment you kind of decided to want to make music rather than just listen to it specifically the drive where did your drive to become a musician come from um that's an interesting question you know i i think as a teenager and maybe even pre-teen uh, um you know i grew up in kind of a small town so there wasn't a whole lot to do you know, at like 12, I got a guitar and a bass and just kind of started messing around. I had an older brother that played bass as well. And then you eventually kind of meet some other kids and you start, you know, jamming, practicing in rooms, whatever, and see what comes of it. So, you know, up until like 12 to 14, 15 years old, I was just kind of messing around with stuff. And then uh, when I moved to Missouri and by the time I was probably 15 or 16, I had met more kids and kids that had kind of already started playing in bands and you know you start going to shows and I think that's really when things kind of set in for me is the first couple times you see a live band and you're like wow this is amazing I I want to be a part of that I want to do that as well you know and uh something with that kind of just stuck with me and mm. I just I think it's just kind of been this lifelong thing where it's like wow, I, I want to create something, whether it's art or music and share it and then play these live shows and interact with people. And yeah, you know, so it, it, it kind of was just this big snowball effect once I started being in bands and playing shows and then later on touring and further down the road, putting out records. It's just mm -hmm. kind of become this thing where this is what I want to do, you know. Hail as old as time. It's as simple as that. You like music, sure. you enjoyed music, and um, yeah, you saw bands and wanted to be one. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, so the first serious band I was kind of in was probably around 15 or so. Mm. Um, I had been in a few things before that that weren't super serious, but um, I was in a band called Amputee Set, uh, mm. and I started that when I was about 15, and I was still in high school. Um and yeah, that, that was just my life. You know, it, I kind of got to a point where I didn't care so much about school. I mean, I, I went to school, I graduated or whatever, but the three other guys that were in the band, they were my best friends. And we, that's all we did is just practice and played shows and every, every spring break, every winter break and every summer break, we'd be out on tour. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it just led from there you know it's it's like anything it's like once once that band broke up i started another band and once that band broke up i moved on to another band and and so on and so forth Considering that, so your early bands, the likes of Surprise Package, Quartermast Wind, and Batista, as you said, subscribe, they, you know, short lives to a degree. Um, was there just an urge from your perspective with these bands to just sort of find something that stuck and to experiment really to find what was working for you? Sure. I think at first, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out what type of music you want to play. Um, you know, what, what you're capable of playing as well. Um, with Amputee Set, I, th I think it was just the right time and I was at the right age where I was discovering a lot of bands, a lot more punk and emo and hardcore and, and metal. And, you know, you, you start finding things that are really sticking and influencing you and trying, trying to uh, somehow emulate that as well or or write similar songs or similar sounds or something. So I think everything kind of before amputee set was just figuring out what I could do or what my friends could do and what, you know, what we were capable of. But mm. then once we started amputee set, um, we had made connections and we started having those influences kind of leak into our, into our sound. Well, the music scene was, uh, to use a phrase, unique position in the latter part of the 90s and early noughties. Um, on a personal level, and I guess how it influenced your sound and bands, did you struggle to identify with what, with what a lot of what was going on during that period? Um, a little bit, sure. But, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with just growing up and, and being young, you know, and just trying to figure out life. Mm. So, yeah, you know, you, you struggle a little bit with it, but I think the other side of that is like the punk rock community and the, and the music scenes are such an inviting place. And, and that is kind of where you start to find yourself and you find like-minded people and this community that you can really grow on and, and kind of have a support system there. And mm. so the more shows that we played and the more that we toured and the more bands that we met, um, you know, again, it was just this kind of snowball effect where you you do start to find yourself. You still you kind of figure out what you want to do, and I don't know, and you kind of just go from there. So, yeah, as as a young person, I I think I did kind of struggle a little bit to like figure out what I wanted to do and and all those ideas and everything. But you know, as you kind of get older and you know, when I was 17, 18, I, I moved into a, a, a punk rock house here in town, uh, <laughs> you know, with 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 multiple people living there. And it was your typical show house. You know, we would do um, host shows a couple times a Fabulous. week. You know? And and that really makes you grow up fast. You know, you, you meet a lot of people um, and it's, you know, it's a unique lifestyle. But uh, I don't think I'd trade it for anything. <laughs> absolutely fantastic um sticking with your bands uh bald eagle it arguably arguably that you're most well known of the bands you've been part of but also sure. certainly one that i think you could say you put the most time into is it fair to say that your time in bald eagle um was some of your most personal successful periods of time sure yeah uh absolutely um again i think it was just the the 
age I was and the time period and everything. But um, at that point, all of us had been in a lot of bands previously, and we kind of knew what we wanted out of the band. So um, of all the bands that I've been in, Bald Eagle did the most touring, uh, mm. had the most releases. You know, we we were on a proper record label, um, the whole nine yards. But that's kind of when we started playing with, you know, that, that was the first band that I really played with kind of like bigger acts, I guess, um, opening for the likes of like Cursive and the Bronx, Every Time I, Every Time I Die, um, Deer Hoof, um, a, a whole, a whole slew of bands, you know? Mm. So yeah, that, that's by far the most successful band that I've been in. Uh, we put a lot of time and energy into it, you know, practicing two to three times a week and just really hitting it hard for several years yeah it shows it absolutely does show um because even in this country bald eagle is a name that's well known well good to hear you know i mean <laughs> I, I know we haven't done anything in in many many years you know i mean that that band is is dead but um mm. it always kind of surprises me the reach that we did have so Absolutely, yeah. Even even during that particular period of time when um, streaming wasn't, I don't even know if it really existed. Um, yeah, it was a little bit before that, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it was also during this time that you really started to kind of get into the label side of things, right? Yeah. So um, kind of at the beginning of, of Bald Eagle, there was a local record label called Emergency Umbrella Records. Yeah. And um, kind of the idea of that was for it to kind of be a, a collective label of um, local bands here in Columbia, Missouri, and kind of a little bit into St. Louis, Missouri, which is like two hours from here. Um, and the idea was that like all of, all of the local bands that were actually doing stuff, putting out records, touring, playing shows, et cetera, um, Emergency Umbrella was kind of like this pivotal point in this this much needed thing to like help those bands. So it was, not only was it an outlet to put out their records and CDs, but um, it just kind of became this more of like a, a community thing where all of the bands kind of had a say in the label. We could play showcases together. We could play, play shows with some of the other bands on the label. Everybody just kind of worked together. We, we used all our resources and contacts to kind of grow this really cool thing. Um, so at, you know, at some point you're a little bit limited because there's only so many bands in town. So then it kind of started spreading out to like St. Louis and more of Missouri and then more of the country. And so, you know, eventually we had bands from Chicago and bands from New York, um, bands from Georgia on, on the label or whatever. So in the beginning, I was just a band that was on the label. I knew the people that ran it. And kind of as things progressed and things went further and further with Bald Eagle, um, I eventually became one of the partners of Emergency mm. Umbrella. So there were there were like four or five of us running the label. Um, yeah, and you know it was it was a great experience, a great learning thing for me to figure out how do you put out a record, you know, how mm. do you promote a record, um, you know, how how do you help a band in a sense when they they go on tour and set up shows or get contacts or whatever. Um, and it, it was an interesting period of time because like you said, this was a little bit before the digital age and, and streaming and stuff. Um, 
a lot of like online blogs had just started up your, your stereo gum and Brooklyn vegan and stuff. All that stuff was just starting out. So it, all this was a whole new world for us. Um, mm. At that point also like vinyl wasn't a huge thing. Uh, everybody was, was still doing CDs. Yeah. Um, you, you just didn't see a whole lot of like vinyl releases because it was, it was so much cheaper just to do CDs back then. And, and then there was just like this kind of weird shift where CDs started to die out. Everybody was going the way of vinyl and, and digital. And, you know, it kind of hit us out of, out of left field where we just, we didn't really know what to do with it. Um, occasionally we would have a band that wanted to put out something and they were like, Oh, we want CDs and vinyl. And, you know, it was just like the price tag to put out records at that point was just so expensive. And a lot of record stores weren't taking vinyl or it was just mm. expensive to ship them. Or if you're looking at it from like a promotional standpoint where we're sending out all these promo CDs, because again, this is before digital where you're not really sending out MP3s or wave yeah. files to let people hear this stuff. You're sending out a, a physical CD or a physical record, you know? So um, unfortunately after about 30 to 35 releases and I don't know how long the label was around, maybe, I don't know, six, seven years or something. We, uh, we finally just called it quits, you know? Um, it was just a big shift in like the music industry and with, with digital stuff, we were just seeing less and less sales in, in, in the physical world. So um, people moved away and the label just kind of folded. And mm -hmm. um, I continued to play in bands, but I wasn't really doing anything on the label side of it for several years. Um, once Bald Eagle kind of fizzled out, I started a band called New Tongues. Yeah. And Bald Eagle had one more record that hadn't been released yet. And I had some stuff with new tongues and we were kind of looking for new labels. And so instead of like kind of shopping around and trying to find labels or, or go that route, um, we just kind of self-released some stuff. And I already knew, knew all the steps of how to put out a record yeah, you and how to promote it, yeah. it and, and all that stuff. So it just seemed like, eh, instead of like, messing with a label let's just cut out the middleman and we'll just do it ourselves so i did that for a few records and kind of you know i, I kind of started diving back into the the record label thing and was like man I, I really missed this i really miss all the aspects of that and and running a label and all the fun parts of it and you know i thought well if, if i'm going to continue to put out records of of my bands and self-release them maybe I should have a name tied to this, you know? Mm. And so um, that's where expert work came in. And I decided on the name expert work and decided to kind of make it a more legit label, not only for like putting out my bands, but then putting out other bands as well. And, um, you know, once I kind of started getting serious about doing the label again, I had this short list of, of bands that I worked with and, I think my idea behind it all was less about working with, with new bands or super active bands um, mm -hmm. because there's so much of that. And 
when you're working with a, a band that's active right now, you kind of get into the role of almost being like a manager, you know, helping that band along the way of, of booking shows and booking tours and just answering loads and loads of questions. Um, and we did a bit of that in Emergency Umbrella. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of other things going on in my life. You know, mm -hmm. the, the record label is not my only job. I have another job. Uh, I also run a screen printing company with my wife. You know, I still play in bands. Busy. Just a lot of things going on. So it's like I don't really have time to be a manager for all these bands. So my idea was more so let's focus on on things that never really saw the light of day. I, mm. I know so many bands from the past that had recorded records that never got put out because they broke up before so or they didn't have the money to release them um just some really great things or things that only ever came out on cd and never got a vinyl release mm -hmm. and so i kind of started making this short list of you know here's here's 10 bands that i would love to work with that i'm friends with that i know have some releases that never came out and we just went from there and um things just kind of have snowballed since. So, you know, you put out one record, it leads to the next. And then yeah. that record leads to the next and and so on. So, you know, it's been great. Um, we'll continue to put out some new things here and there if it makes sense. Yep. But right now the focus is kind of uh, putting out a lot of kind of lost recordings from the 90s and early 2000s. Indeed. Um it sounds like it's a lot of fun for you, though, regardless of the work. It is. Uh, you know, I mean, that's not to say that there there's times where it's not so fun or that it is a lot of work. Um, yeah. But overall, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's fun to reconnect with some of these bands and some people that I haven't talked to for 15, 20 years. So uh, the, the Sweetheart stuff, I'll use that as an example, you know. Um, these two records that we're putting out, the recordings are almost 20 years old. Yeah. Um, and Bald Eagle played a lot of shows with Sweetheart in the early 2000s and made really good friends with those guys. So um, while I've kept up with them on like social media and stuff, I haven't really seen them in person or, or talked to them on the phone in, in several years. So mm. that part has been amazing just to kind of reconnect with those guys and and just share stories from the past and all that stuff. Did you reach out to them or did they reach out to you? Uh, I had, I actually reached out to them. Um, kind of an interesting thing is so um, going into it, I knew that they had self-released like a seven inch record, like a 45. Yeah. And I had that. And then they also uh, had released an EP that only ever came out on CD. Mm. And I thought that was the only stuff that they had recorded. So I had kind of reached out to them to see if maybe the CD that they had put out, the EP, if they would want to like release that on vinyl. And that was the initial idea. So yeah. after a couple emails and, and talking to them, they said, hey, well, we actually have these two recordings that we never ever put out. We recorded a, a proper full length before we broke up and we never did anything with it. And we also have this really cool, um, almost 13 minute song. I think it's like 12 minutes and 44 seconds song. Mm. Um, 
that we would love to do something with as well. And they said, you know, we're not super into the idea of, of re-releasing the EP just because it was already released and it's on, on streaming sites and stuff. And we don't really think that that's like our best work or the best representation of the band. But yeah. we have the two records that we really like and it was kind of at the end of the band when we were writing our best stuff. Um, and we'd like to do something with that. So we kind of threw around the idea, do we make this a double LP? Do we release it as two separate things? And they said, you know, let's release it as two separate things, but these these records kind of go together in a way. And, and you know, not to get too nerdy here, mm -hmm. but you can kind of see it in like the artwork where um, the LP, uh, the tighten, the unbearable tightness of being, all the artwork is, is very white in color. And then this EP, the process of making us well is all black so it's kind of this like you know a, a plus and minus or a, a, a positive and a negative of each other kind of but yeah. they go together they were written at the same time um the lp was recorded in a proper studio out in la uh the ep was recorded by the band in a warehouse in ohio and they're very different from each other but somehow also go together very, very well. Um, and so, you know, after those two records were presented to me and the idea was presented to me, um, some some memories kind of came back and I said, man, I, I do remember them playing a lot of these songs live when we would play with them. And I do vaguely remember years and years ago, maybe one of them actually passing that recording on to me or, or a burned CD of it or something. And, oh. you know, I just kind of forgot that they had that material recorded. So then when you're, you know, when you're dealing with these recordings from 15, 20, 25 years ago, it's a matter of, well, what shape are they in? Mm. You know, do we have, do we have the files? Um, do they need to be remixed? Do they need to be remastered? Things like that. And so luckily the guys had hold, held on to uh, all the audio files of it. And so we got the files, uh, we, we got it remastered and then started working on artwork and et cetera. And, and here we are. So now we have these, these two great records by a band that probably would have never seen the light of day, you know? So sometimes I th think with this older stuff, these unreleased bands and unreleased records, a lot of it is just, you know, I, I tell myself, don't ever be afraid to like ask. And, and that's the biggest thing I've found with this label is it never hurts to reach out and ask somebody, hey, would you be interested in putting out these old records or these old recordings? Or do you have any old records or old recordings? And, you know, the worst they can say is, no, you know, I, I'm not feeling it. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not yeah. happy with these recordings, whatever. But more times than not, um, I think they're just over the moon that somebody actually cares. And it, it starts to open up a lot of things and a lot of memories, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But most of the time, you know, they're very excited to kind of like revisit this and breathe some fresh air into something from their past. That there, you just nailed it. You nailed it there with that, the breath breathing, the fresh air and something from the past. You might have moved on mentally, um, musically and all these ways, but for a brief period of time, you get to, as you say, delve back into those memories. There's almost... There's almost no negative to it. Sure. 
But yeah, why you from... know, it's uh... cool. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was I was just going to ask you why, from your perspective, is it so important to get these records out? Well, you know, um, I just I've just never been comfortable with things being lost. I mm-hmm. guess. Um, especially when it's sometimes it's like the band's best, best material, their best work, you know, um, nothing against that early seven inch or the early EP that Sweetheart put out. But again, they were, they were just starting out as a band and it's not the best representation of the band or the best material by the band. And so, you know, as they progress and the songwriting got better and they've had some tour experience under them and they, you know, are, instead of recording things themselves, they're actually going into a studio mm-hmm. and the recordings are better. You know, it's just, it's just a disservice to see these things just sit on a shelf and never see the light of day. And, you know, it's just important to me that, that people hear this music and that it doesn't get lost forever, you know? And, you know, the, the goal isn't to, sell a million copies of these unreleased records or have the bands necessarily get back together and and do a huge tour where sometimes that might happen you know mm. sweetheart has kind of talked about possibly doing a couple reunion shows to kind of promote this yeah which becomes a fun thing for them too to to reconnect and you know it, it doesn't have to be a, a super high pressure thing where okay get the band back together let's book several months tour let's Mm. let's go all into this you know i mean again these guys are have aged 20 25 years some of them have families some of them have real jobs you know so the the expectations aren't really there to be able to do it as a full-time thing or to tour but you know maybe playing a couple shows in their hometown or you know doing a, a week tour or something where people who had never had a chance to see them yeah finally get to see them and hear these songs live and we can kind of promote the records a little bit. So that, you know, that stuff's kind of cool to me. Um, But the main thing is just, just making sure that the recordings don't get lost and that people get to hear them. That's, that's the important part for me. And people will get to hear them. As you said, February 2nd via your label expert work. Um, Put your label hat on for a moment then. And, uh, Give me the best business answer I guess you can hear. What would success for these records being released look like for you from the label perspective? Um, ooh, that's a you know that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, what is success? You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, you, I mean, on one hand, you look at it as like, well, if I if I press three hundred or five hundred records. Is, is success selling out of those records, uh, yeah. which which we generally do where we come close to with each release, um, you know, or is success getting a couple good reviews where people are excited about it and stuff? I think I think it's a little bit of both. You know, yeah. I like to see the the records sell. I like to see a little bit of buzz behind it, uh, whether it's some interviews or some reviews of the record where people are saying nice things. And it's and it's a lot easier to keep track of that stuff now in the digital world where you can look at plays on Spotify or look at plays on Bandcamp and, and see that stuff. So, you know, really the success for me, honestly, is just, just seeing it 
have the light of day, you know, seeing everything come together. And when you finally get those records in the mail and you're holding the physical product and you say, this is, this is months of hard work yeah, and us finding this thing from 20 years ago and getting it remastered and getting new artwork and getting it pressed to vinyl. And here it finally is. And you put on that record and you're like, wow, this is great. This thing would have never existed if I didn't make a phone call or write an email. And that to me is, is the, is success. You know, like I said, I don't need to sell a million records. I don't need, need for the bands to reunite and tour the world, but just having it see the light of day and having people hear it and enjoy it. And I think, I think that's what we're doing with the label. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, we get plenty of sales. I get plenty of, of people reaching out and saying, Hey, this is really cool that you're re-releasing this stuff. Um, or that you're releasing it at all, you know, because it never got released. So, um, yeah, I I hope that kind of answers your question. Uh, Again, kind of of a hard one to answer there. Yeah, it it absolutely is. But you did a fantastic job of summarising what, at least from your personal perspective, it could feel like. And considering that and taking all that on account, and I guess everything we've talked about so far, with all the experience that you've got behind you and so much to look forward to as well going forward, what makes you, Justin, the man, happy these days? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, that, again, a, a tough question. But, mm. um, you know, it, it's as fun as the, as the label can be, um, there is a lot of stress with it. It's it's a lot of hard work. Um, it can be expensive at times. You know, it's just a lot of stuff to coordinate, and and it's it's hard to coordinate all that stuff with all the other things going on in your life. What you know, with other jobs, and I'm married, so you know, you, you just have a lot of personal things going yeah. on. So happiness to me is is when everything is is working in the right way. You know when when the married life is good, the home life is good, the the jobs outside of the record label are going good. And, you know, and then, but honestly, you know, what puts the biggest smile on my face anymore with, with the label is like I said, is, is once you finally have that finished product and you, yeah. and the, and the records show up and you say, man, all my hard work has really paid off. And, you know, this might sound weird, but, but I still really love packing up all the orders myself. Yeah. And, and, and I do a lot of that, you know, it's, we don't really uh, deal with um, a distribution company to fulfill orders. I, I still personally take all the orders through like Bandcamp and emails mm. and, you know, online or whatever. So I see all those orders. I print out all the packing slips. I hand pack them all and, it's just fun. You know, it's, it's fun to see uh, returning customers, people that buy all the releases. It's, it's fun to see what States and countries all these things are going to. And, and just being like, wow, you know, I'm amazed that somebody in Australia is, is buying this thing from the early two thousands that they may have never heard, but somehow they found it and they like it. And that's amazing to me. So, you know, that's, um, I'm I'm a pretty simple person, you know, so thing, things like that, that's that's kind of what makes me happy these days. I love it. I love it. 
Okay, right. Again, though, keeping the experience at the forefront of your mind and all the things you've learned to date via the label and bands and all of that. Go back to when you were 14, 15 and so on. And you are experimental with these early bands. You could give yourself one bit of advice. What would it be? Um, just don't take things so serious, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think really, you know, like when I got into amputee set mm. it was just it was just my whole world you know and i i was just so 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 serious about it you know oh, uh being in a band was my everything you know i i didn't really care about much else so it was just i wanted to practice i wanted to tour i wanted to record and towards the end of that band uh some of the members were less and less into the idea of, of always touring and, and recording and having this, this big schedule. And at that point, I was so used to touring and being on the road all the time that I had started um, touring with other bands kind of as a roadie, selling merch and just helping, helping out along the way. And ultimately, that's kind of what broke up Amputee Set is that I wanted to be out on the road more and more and the other guys really didn't want to um and so you know maybe if i would have taken things a little less serious and had a, a little less of an ego behind it maybe mm. the longevity of that band would have been stretched out a little bit further and we we could have taken it a little bit further and so you know things don't always have to be so serious or so business-like we just need to like sit back and have fun with it and enjoy the music and enjoy the friendships and enjoy all the stories. Do you think if you did actually say that to your younger self, your younger self would have listened? I don't know. That's hard to say, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd like to think so, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Uh, Justin, not quite done yet. I want to introduce the second part of the interview. This is a short little segment we do via this character called Ozzy Osbourne. And in his head are basically random cards of everything and anything, any question it can be, uh, with many submissions by other bands and artists too. So I'm just going to pull some out and basically answer them at random. Okay. Okay, right. You're up first with, what is your go-to cocktail? Uh, coffee. Coffee. Almost big, always coffee. Big coffee drinker, yeah? Yes. Okay, next up. What is a video game, if you play them, that you could just lose hours to? Uh, these days, I don't really play video games. Mm. haven't in many, many, many years. I don't own any consoles or anything. Um, so don't have a real great answer for that. I'll play my uh, my New York Times games on my telephone in the morning while <laughs> drinking coffee. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, what is your go-to pizza order? So you're ordering a pizza. What are you always ordering? Oh, good question. Um, and this is an interesting question because I have not mentioned this, but my real job is I manage a pizza restaurant here in town. Um I helped a good friend of mine open a pizza restaurant about 10 years ago. Mm. And I've kind of been his right-hand man for the last 10 years. Awesome. Uh, running the day-to-day -day at the pizza shop. And I have pretty much eaten pizza every day for the last 10 years or close to every day for the last 10 years. Um, so uh, 
I don't really think that there's a wrong answer with pizza. Um, I love pretty much everything. You know, my go-to while I'm working is usually a slice of pepperoni. Straightforward. Yeah, straightforward and easy. I'm going to add an extra to that because you said uh, there's no really wrong answer with a pizza. What is a topping that does not belong on a pizza? I mean, you'll get a lot of people that say pineapple. But Obviously, yeah. I think pineapple is fine. Uh, okay. Anchovies? You know, uh, I don't particularly like anchovies, but I'm not against it, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's not really my go-to. Uh, we we certainly put plenty of them on pizzas where I work, so somebody likes it. But not not necessarily for me. So let's say anchovies. Fair enough. Okay, what is a current trend in life you would like to see disappear? Mm. Uh, people being so attached to their cell phones all the time. Um, I understand the necessity, you know, the pros and cons with cell phones. It's great technology. Um, it's great to have access to our email and our games and our, our music and everything. But, um, you know, going back to the, the early nineties and before the digital age and, and being on tour kind of before cell phones and stuff, mm. I think there's just a lot that, that should be said and, you know, taken into consideration where when we get off of our phones and we kind of enjoy conversations and, and real life and real life experiences and, you know, going to a concert and, and not being so, um, so dependent on, on filming that concert or taking pictures and having those memories digitized and living in our phone forever and maybe just putting away our phones and watching it in real time and yeah. just having those memories. Um, I work with a lot of younger people that are just on their phones all the time, you know, and it's just like, let's just put these things down and just don't be so dependent on them. I hear you, I hear you. I think we're, I think we're roughly around the same age. Put this way, I was 16 in the year 2000. So, you know, I'm, um, I, I, I'm also from that era of no smartphones, no streaming yeah. and stuff like that. But it is easier said than done. That's the thing. Uh, even sure. you as a, a label owner and runner and talking to bands probably use your phone maybe more than you would like, you reckon? Yes. I mean, I, you know, I say that and, and yes, well, I'm still attached to my phone all the time, so... Okay, then on that then, uh, you need to de-stress. What might you do to help that? Um, a good vacation. Yeah. Um, and just kind of turning everything off. I'm really bad at this, you know. Uh, I tell myself every year when I, I'll, t I'll take a couple good vacations every year. And I always say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to bring a computer with me. I'm not going to check emails. I'm not going to do any business stuff. I'm, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to enjoy where I am and, and take in this city or um, go someplace with nice weather or something. Um, but I have a hard time turning all that off. And it's, and a lot of that again, comes from just running a label and, and needing to be available to answer questions. So unfortunately, sometimes you're stuck checking emails or writing emails or, yeah. or doing something, but um it's something I struggle with and something I'm trying to get better about is to kind of relax a little bit more. And yeah. uh, 
And when you go on vacation to kind of just turn everything off and actually in, enjoy that vacation and enjoy your time away from things. But easier said than done. It is indeed. All right, one more for you, Justin. And it is, what is the most impressive thing you've ever seen in the world? Hmm. Most impressive thing I've ever mm. seen in the world. Um, you know, I would have to say something in, in nature, you know, um, again, we go on a lot of vacations and, um, I've only been to Europe a couple times. Um, I, I went to Italy a few years ago and, uh, the city of Venice, you know, Mm. was just, just breathtaking. I've never seen anything quite like that. So that's gotta be up there. Um, I also have gone to Spain and that, you know, just, just the history and the castles. And I, I mean, it's just, it's unlike anything that we really have here in the U S but if you're going from like a nature standpoint, uh, there are, are some really incredible things here in the U S I mean, Niagara falls or, yeah. uh, the grand Canyon, just, just things that are just, you just can't appreciate them until you see them in real life. Um, so things like that, you know, real real life experiences that maybe you've only seen pictures of or videos yeah. of and seeing them in real life. I think you nailed that there as well. Um, you know, obviously through phones and all that, you can you can sit here, I could sit here right now and watch a YouTube video that is someone currently in um, a major national park in America walking around and it's impressive. But the contrast between watching that and then actually being there is so far, so different. Right. So going forward, uh, folks want to keep up, I guess, with what Expert Work are doing. Um, How can they do that? Is it simply keep an eye on your social medias and follow you on all the usual platforms? Sure. Uh, Yeah. Instagram is usually about where I'm I'm posting the most. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just Expert Work Records on Instagram. Uh, the Bandcamp page, expertworkrecords.bandcamp.com. Um, that's the best spot for uh, new releases, for streaming, for buying everything. Um, obviously, anytime we have anything new, it'll be up there first. Um, so those are about the best spots, really. Simple as that. And of course, the next release is February 2nd. Sweet hearts, the process of making us well and the unbearable tightness of being. Uh, best of luck with those releases. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate thank you, it. Carl. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome.